Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Hey guys, I'm Jeff. I'm one of the pastors at Salt Church. What do Christians need most today at this time in history? What do Christians, what does the church need most today at this time in history? If you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, perhaps you'd say something like, Christians need to kind of get with the times and let go of some of the harmful ideas that Christians hold on to, to stop our homophobia or our sexism. If you're a Christian, maybe you'd say things like, we need to adjust our method to our culture. You know, same message, don't change the message, but change the packaging so that we get heard. Or maybe if you are a Christian, you might say we need to earnestly pray for revival. I asked my kids this week and they said hugs and more ice cream and lollies. So there you go. There's the answer. Sermon done. That's what Christians need. Now, here's what I reckon. I think what Christians need most is the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. And we've seen power on display, haven't we? Power is what Jesus promises. Uh, Jesus says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Uh, we've seen this power in the Olympics, haven't we? Uh, power is the ability to do something. And we've seen men and women who can swim faster and jump higher and run quicker than anyone in the world. A human power is impressive. But next level is God's power. You see this actually in the ball through the book of Acts. Let me show you from Acts chapter 2. A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where the disciples of Jesus were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is the power of God, the Holy Spirit. Fire, raging wind, speaking in languages they've never learned. Or a similar thing in Acts 4. Let me show you this one. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Can you imagine being in that community? Yeah, imagine if no one in Australia had any financial needs during lockdown. Not because of JobKeeper or government bailouts, but because neighbours sold their houses and gave the money to those who were doing it tough. That's the power of God, the Holy Spirit. And we've been winding our way through the book of Acts at Salt Church, and we're up to chapter 3, but we're going to push that to next week. And today, we're going to take a step to the side to see the Spirit's work. What is the Holy Spirit's work? Particularly, we're going to answer these three questions. Here's the plan. These three questions. What does God, the Holy Spirit's power, do? Who does God, the Holy Spirit, give power to? And why does God, the Holy Spirit, give power? That's where we're going. The first one's going to be longer. The second and third will be quicker. And if you hang in there until the end, I've got a clip from a comedian to show you as well. So there you go. There's a little teaser. 
Now, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, if you're exploring Jesus and this whole God thing, obviously this is pretty relevant. How do you get power like this? If you're a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, obviously this is relevant to you for the same reason. Plus, we also know this is an area where Christians debate or perhaps strongly disagree might be a better way to put it. At one extreme, some Christians teach that you're saved by trusting in Jesus. But some Christians experience this second thing, the baptism, the power of the Holy Spirit. And the proof that you have that is that you can speak in tongues. And if you don't have that, you might not have enough faith and you're missing out. At the other extreme, some Christians teach that God's power is that he saves us. But there's not really anything else after that. And they're suspicious and cynical of any claim to supernatural power. Which one's right? Well, I'm going to attempt to carve a bit of a path today. So how about as we dig into this pretty big, pretty important topic, how about I pray that God will use what we see today to help us value and apply the work of God, the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. We pray as we dig into this topic. We all come to it with different ideas. We pray that you'll help us to see from your word how we're meant to think about this, how we're meant to live, what we're meant to do. Amen. Uh, Well, first up, what does God, the Holy Spirit's power do? Uh, There's different words in Acts that describe what the Holy Spirit does. Here's a bunch of them. Wait for the gift, my father promised. In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, Jesus says. Uh, Peter says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. A whole bunch of different ways to describe the Holy Spirit's work, but they all say the same thing, really. They all kind of point to the same thing. The gift of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the gift. The gift is the Holy Spirit that people who trust Jesus receive. It's poured on them. They're baptized with the Holy Spirit. Uh, This is what God the Holy Spirit's power does. I've gone all out on the alliteration here, and it continues the whole sermon, so enjoy that. Uh, This is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit gives new life. New life. Uh, When you were born, you took your first breath. When the Holy Spirit is given, people take their first spiritual breath. They start their spiritual life. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit gives new life. And then the Holy Spirit lives in us. It gives this new link with God, a deep link, a deep relationship The gift is the Holy Spirit who lives in us, which means that Christians know God closely, intimately. We're safe with God. We have this new link with God. And this new link is actually permanent. Before the book of Acts, some people had the Holy Spirit for a while. 
But after Pentecost, which we looked at last week, after Pentecost, all Christians have the Holy Spirit permanently. This is what God, the Holy Spirit's power does. It gives new spiritual life when we were spiritually dead. He gives a new link with God forever. And this new life, this new link with God, it's a one-time thing. It happens at the start of your Christian life. It's unrepeatable. But there's other work that God the Holy Spirit does that is repeatable. And in Acts, the language that most commonly is used for that is being filled with the Spirit. Let me show you again a couple of verses, being filled with the Spirit. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, a whole sermon about Jesus. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now here's quite a different one. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Now what does being filled with the Spirit mean? Uh, English actually isn't that much help here. Uh, When we hear fill, I kind of think of a coffee cup. You know, a cup that's getting filled with more coffee. Uh, is that what it means? You, you can have more or less in a cup, so can you have more or less Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit a liquid? Uh, no. There's actually another definition of fill in English. It's being influenced by, being controlled by, being overwhelmed by. And that's what that last example showed us. The, the Sadducees, the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Does that mean they had more jealousy in their cup? No, it doesn't mean that at all, does it? It means they were influenced by jealousy. They were controlled by their jealousy. They were overwhelmed by their jealousy. And being filled with the Holy Spirit is the same thing. Being influenced and led and directed by the Holy Spirit. And this is what being filled with the Holy Spirit does and leads to. These big things. I'll go on alliteration again. Big guts. Uh, When Jesus was arrested, when he was on trial, Jesus' followers scattered. And at Jesus' trial, Peter, the Apostle Peter, was so scared of a teenage girl that he said he didn't even know Jesus. He'd never met him. Two months later, the same Peter stands before the same court that killed Jesus, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's fearless. And he tells them, you killed Jesus You need to repent. See, when you're influenced by the Holy Spirit, you get the guts to declare Jesus to the world. The other thing this leads to is big growth. Or one of the ways the Bible talks about it is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's the fruit that the Holy Spirit grows in Christians. And you get stunning pictures of this in Acts, like those people that sold houses and shared it. Stunning pictures in Acts. It actually still happens. This happens all the time now. Uh, One of the privileges I get of being a pastor is I get to see this happen at Soul Church. Uh, I see this in amazing ways all the time. I get to see parents who are patient and self-controlled when their kids push all their buttons who are actually becoming less angry every year. I see workers turn down extra shifts and even promotions at work 
because they've decided that it's going to get in the way of following Jesus and that's not worth it. I've seen dating and engaged couples saving sex for marriage and telling their Christian friends, can you ask me hard questions about whether I'm being faithful and pure? Who does that? I've seen people cut down alcohol and hate greed and repair conflicts and squash pride. I've seen us trust God in suffering when we've lost jobs and lost health and even lost children. That doesn't just happen. That growth is the power of God, the Holy Spirit. And the other big thing that the Holy Spirit gives is big gifts. There's a bunch of these gifts in the book of Acts, and there's more in the rest of the New Testament. And we learn in 1 Corinthians 12, these all come from the one Spirit who gives some gifts to all Christians as the Spirit decides best. No Christian has got all the gifts, And no Christian has no gifts. We've all got some, as the Holy Spirit decides is best. And one of the gifts in Acts is speaking in tongues. What the heck is speaking in tongues, right? Uh, I read up on it this week, and I came across five options of what it could mean. But I think there's only two that are likely. So these are the two that I'll give you. I think here's what speaking in tongues probably means. First of all, it's speaking human languages that you've never been taught. Uh, I can't speak French other than bonjour, baguette. That's about it. Croissant. Uh, I, I can't speak in French. But if suddenly I could start speaking in French and I've never learned it, that's kind of what this speaking in tongues is, the first one. Speaking human languages you've never been taught. The other option is speaking spiritual angelic languages. And now the first type we saw last week The followers of Jesus, first century Jews, are filled with the Spirit and they speak about God in human languages they've never learned. And it's so clear that native speakers of those languages hear them and they say, how how can they be speaking my language? It's this huge moment as God gives this big gift to kind of show everyone that he's at work that this new age of the Spirit coming has happened, but also for another purpose... It's so that the news of Jesus can cross cultures and cross languages so that all the nations can hear about Jesus. Because now you have Jews who speak many languages. That's the first type. The second type, speaking in spiritual languages, it might be what Paul means in 1 Corinthians 13, where he says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I don't have love, I'm as useless as a clanging gong. Uh, spiritual languages there, they need to be explained. They need to be interpreted by the speaker or by someone else. I think those are the two likely options of what speaking in tongues means. But one thing speaking in tongues can't be is meaningless babble. It can't be meaningless babble because have a look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? The one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church. You see there, it has to be explained. It has to be understandable. It's not meaningless babble. It reveals something. It's truth from God. It it helps people understand God better. That's the purpose of this. 
Now, one of the things I love about Salt Church is we have people from so many different backgrounds, a huge mix of backgrounds here. Some of us used to be in churches that were Pentecostal or Baptist churches, Anglicans, Catholics, even people who used to be part of cults or used to be atheists, and we're all together in this one beautiful, messy, glorious church. I love that. I want to acknowledge, though, that not all Christians agree with what I've been saying. Uh, some have very different interpretations of Acts, especially the place of tongues and speaking in tongues in Acts. And it's not like there's two camps and you're in one or the other. There's actually a whole mix of different ideas. Uh, but let me show you one example of quite a different idea. Uh, this comes from the Assemblies of God churches of a paper on their website, a, a doctrinal position paper called Baptism in the Holy Spirit. Um, I'll give you a few quotes from this paper And I'll do my best that I can to try and present this as fairly as I can. But bear in mind, I'm drawing from a six and a half thousand word essay here. Uh, So it's going to be a challenge to capture that in just a few quotes. But let me give you the view of the paper. In essence, the paper says there's two stages. And I agree with this. The first stage is that everyone who's converted has new life and a new link with God by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Technically, it's called regeneration and indwelling. And I agree 100%. Everyone who's converted has new life and this new link with God. The second thing, though, is that Christians also experience the big work of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, empowered, influenced by the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the difference. I call this first one baptism in the spirit but the paper calls the second one baptism in the spirit and the paper goes a step further it notices how at pentecost the this thing what i would call the first thing what they call the second thing is accompanied by people speaking in tongues as kind of a proof i guess that the holy spirit is at work and so they conclude that speaking in tongues That actually is a sign of something. It's proof of something. It's proof that you've been baptized by the Spirit. It's the kind of one infallible, obvious proof that you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. That's the position. So let me give you the evidence and then I'll give you some quotes. kind of comes from Acts 2 and Acts 8. Acts 2, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And then Acts 8, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. You know, speaking in tongues, two stages, seems to come later. That's the evidence. Here's the quotes. Stick with me. The most distinguishing features of the baptism in the Holy Spirit are that one, it is subsequent to the new birth. It's after kind of the Spirit makes you alive. Second, it is accompanied by speaking in tongues. And third, it is distinct in purpose from the Spirit's work of regenerating the heart and life of a repentant sinner. Speaking in tongues is the initial empirical accompaniment to Spirit baptism. Nowhere does the scripture indicate that one may be baptized in the spirit without speaking in tongues. It is not an experience that occurs only at the time of being baptized in the spirit. It ought to be continual, repeated. Spirit baptism opens up the receiver to the full range of spiritual gifts. This is a natural consequence of having already submitted to something supernatural and supra-rational by allowing oneself to be overwhelmed by the spirit. 
With a baptism in the Holy Spirit comes such experiences as an overflowing fullness of the Spirit, a deepened reverence for God, an intensified consecration to God and dedication to His work, and a more active love for Christ, for His Word, and for the lost. Phew! There's a lot of stuff there. And you might have missed it amongst all those quotes, but let me kind of drill it down. What we're saying is actually two very different things, and and it matters. It has some teeth to it. I'm saying the first thing is spiritual baptism. New life, new link with God. It's a one-off at the start of your Christian life. It's for all Christians. And tongues, there's a place for tongues. There's this second ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in us. But it's, you know, tongues, they're neither here or there. They don't prove anything. Uh, and they're actually, uh, tongues is a, speaking in tongues is a phenomenon that many religions have. Speaking in tongues doesn't even prove you're a Christian, yet alone that you have this kind of special supernatural thing. That's what I'm saying. But this, this paper is saying that the second thing is spiritual baptism. And only some people have that, and the proof is that you speak in tongues. Now, who's right here? Because you've got to say, if this is what the Bible says, if this is right, we must believe it. We're not free to twist God's word. We're never free to pick and choose our favorite parts of God's word. It's God's word, and it must be obeyed by all God's people completely, if that's what it says. But is that what it says? Well, I reckon we get some helps by three Bible reading tips. Let me give you these three Bible reading tips. I think this is really helpful for this question, for many questions where Christians disagree. First tip is, did you read it right? Uh, when we read the Bible, we're trying to work out if that thing in the Bible is this thing that I do. For example, God tells us, share the gospel. Go and share the gospel. What does that mean? What does that thing mean? Is that telling people about Jesus? Or is it sharing a Spotify playlist of gospel music? Which one is it? Because that thing is this thing. Is it? Because you're saying this is what that means. This is what God's word means that must be obeyed by all God's people. Are you sure you're right? And are there other options? And if there's two or more options, we need to weigh them up, don't we? We can't just settle too early for the option that we prefer, because that's a real danger. I have this danger. We all have this danger. We read into the Bible what we'd prefer instead of just reading out of it what it actually says. That's the first thing. Did you read it right? Second thing, context. Context is obviously the best guide to what something means, and it's the way to work out what to pick if there's two or more options. Because we know if you take something out of context, you can make it say almost anything, even the opposite of what it means. Do you know, for instance, there's a verse in the Bible that says there is no God. Yep, it's right there. Uh, there's a verse in the Bible. So pack in your religion, Christians. The Bible says God's not real. There's no God. Now, obviously, that's not what it really says, is it? It says the fool says in his heart there is no God. You see, I've heard this phrase, a text out of context is a con. Well, you've got to read it in context. And the last one, does it fit the rest of the Bible? It's the same ultimate author, and God is not vague or capable of mistakes. It's all connected as this one message. So in Acts, how's this work? Well, what's the context of Acts? 
That picture of Pentecost, it's the first time the Holy Spirit is poured out. And we know that what happens first is not what always happens every time. That's why we call things the opening ceremony. It's different to the other ceremonies. The inaugural speech, the original flavor. Uh, these, these people who speak in tongues, it happens to a few groups. It's public. It's a group of people. It never happens to individuals. There's about 20 people in Acts who are individuals who get saved. It never says anywhere that they can speak in tongues. There's no kind of indication that the people who do speak in tongues keep speaking in tongues. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. There's not really any evidence either way. What about the rest of the Bible? Well, the rest of the Bible tells us that all Christians have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 says it. It says, for we were all baptized by or with or in one spirit. The same with being filled with the Holy Spirit. All Christians have the Holy Spirit's power. Paul says in Ephesians 5, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And we actually even get more evidence to prove that filling with the Holy Spirit is about influence and not the cup. Because look at what these four things are. This is what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and everything to God the Father, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what it looks like. What about, did we read it right? Well, there's actually another good option to explain what's going on for like the Samaritans and other people like that. If you notice when these things happen in Acts, it's when the news about Jesus first crosses lines. Like Jesus says in Acts 1 verse 8, he says, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The news first goes to Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And there's special proof that it's come as 120 people start speaking in human languages they never learned before. And when the news first goes to Samaria, the Samaritans trust God. They have new spiritual life. They're baptized in the Spirit, but then God splits their conversion and the proof that they're converted until an apostle can get there. So that the apostles can tell everyone that the Samaritans are legit Christians. Because uh, if you're a Harry Potter fan, the Samaritans were like the half-bloods of the first century Jewish world. They intermarried, they were treated as second-class citizens by the Jews. But here's an apostle who sees proof so he can tell everyone they're not second-class, they're the same as us. It's the same with the Gentiles as the gospel goes out to the Gentiles. Again, if you're a Harry Potter fan, they were the muggles of the first century Jewish world. And the Apostle Peter is amazed that the same Holy Spirit is poured out on them. And he tells the church, he tells the nations, he tells the church actually, the people, who, the nations, the people who live in the ends of the earth, they have an equal place with us. See, the very reason that God does this is not to create a special class of Christians who experience a new, a fuller blessing of the Holy Spirit. It's to show all Christians that we're united in the same full blessing of the one Spirit. Now, if all of that felt a bit technical and irrelevant and you're like struggling here, what about me? How does this affect me? 
Well, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian and you're tuning in, all this newness, all this bigness, all this power is not yet yours. But it can be. That's the very thing that God offers you. It's the very thing that God wants to do for you. I'm sure there's many things that you want to change in your life. I mean, the end of lockdown would be nice for a start, right? You may not feel that you need to hear this, what God offers to you. But God knows this is what you need most. You need this new life. Which is the second question. Who does God, the Holy Spirit, give this power to? Well, this new life, this new link is for anyone who starts to trust Jesus. For anyone who realizes they can't do enough to be good enough for God. Anyone willing to ask God to forgive them. Willing to stop running away from God and to start walking with God instead. And you can actually do that right now. You can do that today. It's like this verse says, Peter says to the, to the people on the first day at Pentecost, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children. So here's what you have to do. Here's all you have to do, just to speak to God and say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Help me trust Jesus now. Help me obey you now. If you do that, you'll receive everything we've been talking about. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit is for everyone and anyone who will come to Jesus. But many of us I know who are listening, we've already done that. Let me land this for you. If you're already a Christian, you've already been baptized with the Holy Spirit. You're not missing out on anything. Speaking in tongues or any other supernatural thing, experience, is not proof that the Holy Spirit is in you or for you or that you've been baptized. I can see though, I can understand why some Christians teach this, uh, why some Christians believe that this is what the Bible teaches. Uh, I feel like if you've never been encouraged to dig deep in the Bible, if you've never been taught those tips, and if you've been taught that this is true by people you respect and you look up to, it's not surprising that many Christians would go with this. Uh, and as far as I can be certain, you can never really be certain about this for anyone other than yourself, but as far as I can be certain, I'm certain that many of my friends who believe these ideas are firm brothers and sisters in Christ. Even as I'm firmly convinced they're wrong in this area. And actually, this thing matters. Uh, I get angry about this sometimes. What gets me angry about all this, though, is the, that this idea has been a devastating weapon in the hands of Satan that has caused Christians to behave like there's two classes, that has divided Christians into the haves and the have-nots, you know, the red-hot Christians and the cold Christians. Because I don't know about you, but I don't know if you know this about me, but there's times where I feel like a fraud. I reckon as Christians, we all do at times, and I feel like that too. I know my flaws. I know how many times I shouted at my kids this week during homeschooling, and I'm not even the one doing the homeschooling. Uh, I know how many times I sinned against God, even as I prepare to talk about God. Sometimes I feel like a second-rate Christian. The good news is there are no second-rate Christians 
There's no such thing as a second class Christian. There's only one class of Christian, full Christian. This new life, this new link, this baptism in the spirit is for anyone who starts to trust Jesus. But yet, if you're a Christian, doesn't our experience just go up and down? Doesn't our experience so often feel like we go from hot to cold? Yeah, we kind of wish it would be like this chart. You know, we start the Christian life and up we go. But the reality for all of us is that it's far more like that, or perhaps it's far more like this for you. It's all over the shop. I mean, there's seasons where we feel dry and lifeless as Christians. Maybe there's one sin that you've been battling for years with little progress. Uh, the more, the longer I've been a pastor, actually, the more I've noticed that we all have at least one thing that we're all still working on. It's probably a different thing for everyone, but there's a thing always. We want to love God, or maybe we want to want to love God. I think that's part of why this other view is so attractive. Who doesn't want overflowing fullness of the Holy Spirit? Who doesn't want that? But in fact, that is what we have as Christians. Not by a second spiritual baptism that you might get or or a special experience that you could chase or get in some particular way if you can just get the circumstances to be right. No, we have this by taking hold of what we already have. Because the big work of the Holy Spirit, the big guts, the big growth, the big gifts... That's for anyone who already trusts Jesus. We saw this in the passages we looked at. Ephesians 5 told us to go and be filled with the Spirit. Not to kind of wait for the Spirit to do His thing or manipulate the Spirit to do His thing. To go and be filled with the Spirit. Galatians 5 tells us to grow in the fruit of the Spirit by keeping in step with the Spirit. And fighting the works of the flesh. There's actually this partnership that we have. We pray and we ask God to do things and we work with God. It might be that you feel dry and lifeless as a Christian because you're not valuing or applying what you already have. It might be for other reasons, of course, a whole bunch of reasons. But it might be that reason. Not valuing or applying what we've already had. And I think that brings us to our last question. Why does God the Holy Spirit give this power? Why does God the Holy Spirit give power? For your gain. I think one of the saddest things that I ever see is Christians who have no interest in reading the Bible, praying to God, meeting with Christians, because they've swallowed the lie that there's more exciting things than hearing God Talking to God, being with the people of God. Their Christian life is kind of flatlined, but they don't really care anymore. It's so sad because it's the exact opposite of what God is on about. It's the opposite of what God offers you. It's the opposite of what God has already given you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Christians have this new life, this permanent link with God. This massive power available. And there's nothing more interesting, more satisfying on all the globe than God. 
If that's where you're at, I know many of us aren't there, but if that's where you're at, if you want to want to love God, can I encourage you, do what will fill you with the Holy Spirit. Do what fills you with the influence of the Holy Spirit. Like fighting sin. I've never felt excited to be a Christian while I'm sinning. It just, it just could never happen that way. We know some of these things. Read the Bible. Read Acts. And don't, you know, if you haven't read the Bible for ages on your own, don't plan that you're going to sit down and read the whole book from cover to cover in one hour or something. Read one sentence. Start with two minutes and one sentence. Go to small group, even when you're tired and you spend the whole day on Zoom and the last thing you want to do is jump on another Zoom. This is the best Zoom of the day because you're with your Christian brothers and sisters hearing from God's word. Watch every live stream. Even if you miss it on Sunday, watch it the next day. It's hard. I know it's hard. I'm not that interesting or engaging. I get it. But watch it for the sake of knowing God better. Text a friend this week and say, can you pray for me? Because I want to want to change. God gives the Holy Spirit gives the Holy Spirit's power for our gain, but also for the church's good. Because these three big things are actually to build the church. Uh, I first learned drums when a friend named Paul gave me this set of drumsticks. I played so much that I broke the top of them, had to gaffer tape them. Uh, and he gave me these drumsticks and he said, I want you to learn to play drums so that you can be the drummer in my band. And so I did. Uh, and I've kept these sticks in case one day I'm famous and I can sell them for 10 bucks. Uh, but I learned the drums like he told me to. The ironic thing, though, is that by the time I learned how to play the drums, he was a much better musician than me. So he wouldn't have me in his band even if I asked to be in it. But there was a way that he wanted me to use these sticks. There was a way he wanted me to use them. And I would have misused them if I took these sticks, formed my own band, and if my band stole all of the shows from Paul's band. That would be to misuse these sticks and the reason that he gave them to me. We have growth in the fruit of the Spirit so that we can love, be kind to, be at peace with the church. That's what it's for. We have gifts from the Spirit, not to express ourselves, but to use them to build up the church. That's what it's for. We have guts, not so we can have more confidence and be self-assured people, but so more people can hear the news about Jesus and join the church. That's what it's for. See, the power of the Holy Spirit is incredible gain for us. But it's for so much more. It's for the church. And bigger still than that, it's for God's glory. And let me press this home for you by showing you a clip, the clip I promised from a comedian, Michael McIntyre, about raising kids. Uh, and in general, I'm pretty reluctant to share these stories about kids as illustrations in talks because I know that this is actually really painful for some of us. Uh, stories about kids are really painful for those of us who don't have kids and desperately want to have them. But bear with me. I hope that you can still relate to this. And I think it'll be a helpful illustration. And fingers crossed, it actually works. Let's try. We'll go to the next slide and see if it works. And there are people in this room who do have children. And there are people in this room who don't have children. 
And the people who don't have children, um, they think they know, don't they? They think they know. They think they know what it means to have children. Sometimes they chat about it, don't they? And they're little couples, you know, oh, I'd love to start a family one day with you. It'd be lovely. You'd make a really good dad. Oh, I think you'd be an amazing mum. So, wouldn't it be so lovely having little, little, little versions of you and me running around? I'd love to have a family. And you think you know what you're talking about. You have no idea. You have no idea what it's like. You have no idea how difficult, how difficult things will become in your life. Things that you don't even consider to be things will become nearly impossible when you have children. I'm talking about things like leaving the house, for example. This is how people without children leave the house. Shall we leave the house? Yes. This is how I leave the house almost every day. Lucas, Oscar, come downstairs. We're late. Why aren't you downstairs? Put your shoes on. I don't know where my shoes are. Put your shoes on. Go and find your shoes. Where did you see them last? On my feet. After that, get your shoes on. Come here, come here. Arms up, arms up, arms in, arms in, arms up, arms up, arms in. That's my wife. She's so tired. She can't dress herself. What arms, darling? Where are we going? I want to go to bed. Where are we going, darling? Funny, you've got Lucas's shoes on your hands. I found your shoes, darling. You put. <laughs> um, did you see the difference, actually? Did you see the difference between the start and the end of that clip? Uh, people who don't have kids talking about what kids will do for you, how fulfilling it will be for you to have little versions of you running around in the world. And then you hit the brutal reality of actually raising kids, which Michael just captures so well. But I think there's one step that he left out in that thing. The most important step, actually. It's when parents find joy, not in what your kids do for you, your identity and your fulfillment, but when you find joy in them. When it's that hard to leave the house, but you do it anyway so that you can see their smiles where they play at the park. When you'd prefer them to, to, when you'd prefer to take your kids to a soccer game where they lose 10 nil instead of playing yourself or sleeping in or watching Netflix because you love it that they love it. A parent who lives like that is a parent who's understood something profound. That there is much more joy, much more satisfaction when you live for something bigger than us. And you can't get bigger than God. All God the Holy Spirit does is for the glory of God. All that God does is for his own glory. He deserves all of the glory that he gets. And Christians, the church, we're caught up in this. We're caught up in this. We're blessed in this. But above all, it's about God. God can do amazing things for you. He has done amazing things for you. He'll keep doing amazing things for you. But the greatest thing, the reason behind it all, the greatest thing is when the glory goes to him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for what you've shown us. Thank you that we're caught up in this incredible work of the Holy Spirit. We have this new life with you, this permanent link with you, that the Holy Spirit is in us uniting us to Jesus. Thank you for this big work that we have access to. Lord, help us to value and apply it and live as your people for your glory. Amen.
sing at home. Let me um, hear your beautiful voices in your lounge rooms.